This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus name. Good morning. Welcome to Lake Community Church's morning Bible study. We are in Genesis chapter 49 and we're going through the blessings of Jacob, of his sons. And well, at the very start, there were some cursings also. And as we study through these, we need to understand that these are prophecies. They have to be prophetic. And the reason they have to be prophetic is because most of the things that are said about these sons are not said about the sons themselves in the sense of the future, the blessings or what's going to take place with them and their family. It's said about their family, about their lives, about their children. And obviously those generations have not come yet. And all these men are going to die in Egypt. They're going to live the rest of their lives out in Egypt, and they're not going to fulfill any of these prophecies. And so they have to be prophetic because they speak to the future that none of these people are going to experience themselves. And so understanding that's prophecy, it's got to be prophecy, even though it's written poetically, even though it speaks very personally about the people that are being talked about, speaks personally about their own characteristic, their own personal characteristics, their own character traits, even though that's the case, he's speaking prophetically about their future. Now, we saw with Judah the prophecy about Judah, about his family line, and we can point directly to Jesus. We can point to Jesus both as as he came as a man and lived on the earth. We can also speak, speak of him in those terms as he was in the future, or he's going to be in the future, <coughs> in the millennial kingdom and in heaven right now. Those prophecies speak to future events that even haven't taken place in our timeline of life right now. And I say our timeline because God lives outside of time. He is timeless and he lives inside of time because he created it. So he both functions inside and outside of time. And uh, so as we study this, we need to see that these are prophecies about the future and they're prophecies that may not have even occurred yet. And we see that with the with verse 13. We see that with Zebulun. It says, Zebulun shall dwell by the haven of the sea and shall become a haven for ships, and his borders shall adjoin Sidon. Now, what's interesting about that is when they went to the promised land 400 years later, we're talking a long time later, when they went to the promised land, Zebulun was up near Sidon, and Zebulun was very close to the sea, but Zebulun didn't touch Sidon and Zebulun was not on the sea. It was not on the sea and it did not touch Sidon. It was real close. And we see that this prophecy is a prophecy that is likely to have not happened yet. It's something that's that God wasn't speaking of yet, unless there's something out there that most people don't know 
or there is an understanding that most people can't see, this hadn't happened yet. And so Zebulun's uh, prophecy about who he is hasn't taken place yet unless you spiritualize it. And a lot of people get nervous when you spiritualize things. But remember, the Bible is full of pictures that give us spiritual understandings. And ships are one of those main pictures that give us spiritual understanding. And the first ship that was ever made in Scripture is the ark. And the ark is a picture of God's salvation. There is no doubt about it. He is saving humanity, and he is saving the the animal kingdom during the flood. That is a picture of salvation, and there's no way to get around it. It has all the hallmarks of that. And then as you you study and look through Scripture, you're going to find out that ships always represent salvation. In fact, there's some great stories throughout Scripture that has to do with ships. And we've got the story of Jonah and the whale. Notice when he's on the ship, he is saved. He is he's saved from God's will, too, by the way. He is saved, period. And when he realizes the storm is going to take down the ship because you can't use God's salvation to get away from God, when it, we realize that ship's going to go down, They throw him overboard, even though they don't want to. They throw him overboard, and the storm abates. It goes away. And so the ship was a place of salvation, and Jonah went into into the sea and ultimately into the belly of the whale, where he was dead for three days and then spit out on the seashore, resurrected again. And, And you say, where you get that from, Pastor? As Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days, so will I be in the in the ground for three days. Jesus prophesied that he would be just like Jonah in the belly of the whale. The way Jesus was in the earth was dead. And I would tell you that that Jonah didn't find some wood in the belly of the whale and make a and make a fire so he could stay warm while he was there for three days. He was dead in the belly of that fish. And God resurrected him or brought him back to life when he spit him out on that shore. And ships are a picture of salvation. I love the story of Jesus on the on the seashore and him asking Peter and his friends to let him use their ship to sit just on the edge of the shore so he could speak to the people and they could easily hear him out on the water and then him telling them to put out for a catch of fish. That is a great story of salvation. It is the, it's a penumbra. It's one of the top pictures of salvation in scripture. And he tells, he tells Peter after Peter says, depart from me from, I'm a sinful man. He says, I'm going to, I'm going to change you from a fisherman to a fisher of men. And that is a beautiful story of salvation. And so it may be that this prophecy has more to do with salvation and it has more to do with God's work in the people of Zebulun as being a place, a haven for salvation, a place where salvation is is powerfully received and that God uses it as a place to reach the Gentiles. And if I did a if I did a study of that in Jewish history, I might find that to be the case. And I might find that some great some great evangelists come from the tribe of Zebulun. I don't know that to be the case, but those that's how I would take it in a spiritual direction, even though it has not physically taken place to this time. Verse 14 says, Issachar is a strong donkey laying down between two burdens. Now, this is interesting. Issachar is its place in the land of Canaan. Its place in the promised land is literally between two fairly tall mountains. And its location is right in the middle of them, and there and there is a lot of good Arab 
arable land for growing crops. And those two burdens could easily be those two mountains because obviously it's hard to grow crops on the mountain. But in the valley, it is a wonderful place. He saw the rest was good and that the land was pleasant. And that is absolutely true of God's allotment to Issachar in the promised land. He bowed his shoulder to bear a burden and became a band of slaves. And notice he's a strong donkey. And we already discussed that donkeys were the pickup trucks of the biblical era, and uh, he is a strong pickup truck. He is, he is one who is willing to work, and uh, he is in a place to work. And uh, the truth is that most of Issachar was carried into slavery by the Persians when they came and the northern ten tribes of Israel and took them into slavery. And that prophecy might have already taken place in its fullness, or there may be many things here that are easy to see and easy to understand happening in the future. Like I said, these prophecies have some interesting things, aspects to them, and they have some things that definitely have not taken place. He says, Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Now, we know that this has taken place in some ways. The book of Judges is a great book. I know a lot of people see it as a dark time in Israel's history, but the key verse in the book of Judges is each man did what was right in his own eyes. And you go, why is that a good thing? Because it's a picture of the church age. The book of Judges is a picture of the church age. And it's an important understanding to have that we have what is known as the priesthood of the believer, meaning each believer has access to God and has access to God's throne room on our own, independent of the other ones. It's not necessary that anybody else that I'm around be holy or be righteous or in any way impart to me something spiritual. I have all that is required for me to have an intimate relationship with God and enter into his throne room on my own. And so it's not necessary that I go through someone else to get to God. I only have one mediator between me and God, and that is Jesus Christ. And I have access to the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit's guidance and leadership and, and counseling of me in my life. And each man doing what is right or righteousness, doing righteousness in his own eyes is an important understanding. I have to learn to walk by faith on my own. Now, I'm a pastor, and I love to help people walk in their faith, but the truth is people's walk in their own faith is very important. It's very important for me not to teach them to walk and follow me in my faith. It's important for me to teach them how to walk and to function in their own faith and to find God's will for them, which sometimes means that they're going to join me in the work of ministry, and we're going to be partners in ministry and do a lot of things. And sometimes it means that they're there for a season, and I build them up and strengthen them, and then they go out to wherever God has for them, and they do great ministry there. And it can mean that I just see them for a short period of time, and I impart them some gift of faith and hope, and that becomes one of the one of the little things that goes on in their life that builds up who they are, and they go off and do ministry. The all those aspects of ministry happen in life. You can be a passing a blessing. You can be a, a, a short-term energy drink where you build them up, 
or you might be a long-term partner in ministry. Those things happen all the time. But the key is to understand that each one of us has our own path and has our own purpose in the kingdom of God. He orders the steps of each righteous individual. Now, the way is Jesus and the door is Jesus, but our paths and how we live our lives oftentimes intersect and oftentimes don't go for long periods of time together. That's just the way life is and it's the way life is always going to be. So when we look at the book of Judges, we understand that each judge in the book of Judges, which by the way, there were some females also, which I think is very powerful and very interesting. Uh, the book of Judges is a story of people who rose up by the will of the Father, by the will of God, to save and to make a difference in the people of Israel's life. And that's a powerful book about and to understand the the church age and how we're to operate. And each one of those judges has something to teach us individually about how to walk with God and how to be powerful. He says, Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. And he did. In fact, one of the, maybe the most famous judge in the book of Judges is Samson. And wow, everybody knows the story of Samson, right? We know the story of him taking the foxes and tying their tails together and burning, burning. <laughs> I mean, he, uh, he burned the Philistine fields. We know the story of him taking the jawbone of the ass and uh, killing all those thousands of soldiers. We know the story of him and his long hair and, uh, and Delilah, a woman who uh, bewitched him and got him to tell all the stories. We know all the, since a great figure in Bible and a lot of people say he's a terrible person in scripture. I would point to you to Hebrews chapter 13 and, and he's mentioned in the roll call of faith. So if you're worried about where Samson's standing is in the, in scripture, all you need to do is look at Hebrews chapter 13 and you realize he's one of the great men of the old Testament, even though he was a very unique figure in the Old Testament. And I love that about him because so many times we want to homogenize Christianity and make each believer be just like everybody else and us walk around like automatons. And that's just not how the kingdom is. The kingdom is made up of a whole lot of unique folks. And praise God, I get to pastor a lot of unique individuals. And I've gotten to do that for years and years. I've said I've always been always said I've I've been a pastor to misfits and renegades my whole life. And I love to be pastor of misfits and renegades, people that were kicked out or run off or weren't accepted here or there, didn't never felt like they were a part of anything, any other place. And then they find a home because they get the opportunity to be themselves and to chase after God using their unique personal gifts and their unique walk with God. And that is a powerful uh, life to live. That is a powerful place to be. And Samson was definitely one of them. And by the way, he was a Danite. And, uh, and so we do know that, and there's actually a, a couple of other judges that were Danites also. And so the tribe of Dan is an important tribe in the book of Judges, and it's an important picture of the church age. And notice, Dan shall be a serpent by the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels. They cause problems to people who function in the world's power. And remember, a horse is a picture of the world's power. Remember, oxen are a picture of man's power, the power of the flesh. Horses are a picture of the power of the world. And so its rider shall fall backwards. Notice, he bites that heel of that, the horse, and the riders, the ones who sit upon them, fall backwards. And let me tell you something, Samson definitely did that. 
Egypt's and when he made a bet with with these rulers of the Philistines and they tricked him and found out the answer to the bet and he went and the bet was to get was a certain number of tunics and the way he got those tunics was he went out there out that night and killed folks that were in there uh, nation and took their tunics and gave them to the to the men who had bet him. And you say that's a terrible story. I would just say you need to read the book of Judges with spiritual eyes and allow God to show you that He's at work in a lot of ways that you don't realize He's at work and He's doing things by far beyond what your limited understanding of who He is. And once you begin to see God in His fullness, you'll begin to understand that God that God is way bigger than you thought, and He's got way more planned for you than you could ever imagine. And if you're going to live in the church age, which we are, I would take advantage of all those things as far as me and my kingdom, as far as God's kingdom and His purposes for me and my purpose in that kingdom. He says, "So that the rider shall fall backwards, I have waited for your salvation." Oh Lord, that that is a picture of Dan. By the way, Dan is not mentioned in the tribes of Israel that are mentioned in Revelation in the book of the Revelation. And there's something that happens there that we're not sure about. And it may be that they 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 get wiped out when they're taken into captivity because they're another one of those tribes that were taken into captivity. It says, "Gad, a troop shall tramp upon him, but he will he shall triumph at last." Now, we really don't have really any understanding about what this is about. And like I said, that's why we're studying these prophecies. We're not sure what's going on with Gad and why they're trampled upon and then why they triumph at last. But let me say this. It's a powerful prophecy, and I look forward to seeing what it's all about. He said, bread from Asher shall be rich, and he shall yield royal dainties. Now, let me tell you something. If you're going to have bread that is rich in Asher, that's where I'm going to eat. I'm going to tell you, that's I like that. I'd like to have that be a prophecy about me. So that's that's some good stuff. By the way, bread is a picture of the Word of God. And that's a prophecy if you want to spiritualize it, which we oftentimes would like to do a little bit and see if we can get some spiritual insight about something. He's saying that the Word of God is rich in Asher, and it shall ro- yield royal dainties, which means you're going you're gonna to understand intimate and deep things about the throne room of God and the plan of God for us in our lives. Wow, what a great, that would be great prophecy, isn't it? Isn't that a wonderful prophecy to have and to be about? I'm not sure how that plays out in history. And i tell you the truth, I'm not sure how that plays out even right now. But that's one of those prophecies is for Asher. Naphtali is a deer let loose. He uses beautiful words. As you study that, you're just sitting there going, I don't know what that means. And I don't either. Although I like to use beautiful words sometimes because I'm so country and I'm from the South. It didn't come out as beautiful as it would if somebody, that, let's say, that was British said it. But I like to use big words. I like to know what big words mean so somebody can't trick me using big words. Naphtali is a deer let loose. And that is a picture of God's people as the deer pants for the water. So my soul longs after you. It is a picture of God and his, his drawing his people 
to him. Notice that deer is let loose, meaning God, God is not restricting him, but God is allowing him to come all that he can. Naphtali is an important tribe in the story of Israel, and it is used, is mentioned many times in the Old Testament. Those are the pictures right there. I wanted to run through those tribes real quick because I think they are, they are powerful understandings. We got Zebulon, Issachar, Dan, Gad, Asher, and Naphtali. Next, we're going to go to Joseph, and we're going to see God's promises to Joseph and his two sons. And as you can see, uh, even studying through something like this, which normally you just read through and you wouldn't even take any time to look at, it's, it yields a bountiful and wonderful crop for those of us who want to dig deep into God's Word. I'd say to you, as we're in Holy Week this week, may God bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he give you hope and peace as you go today. Hope to see you tonight as we meet together and celebrate the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and through the tomb. In Jesus' name, amen. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.